Fed Talks is a podcast for theater teachers and theater education students. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Chrisman, theater education professor at Illinois State University. Each week I bring you stories and interviews from experienced K-12 theater teachers, current theater education majors, professors of theater education, and teaching artists that will warm your heart, renew your faith in teaching, and provide resources to better your practice in your theater classroom. So grab your coffee or glass of wine, plug in your headphones, or turn up your car stereo, and relax. Thanks for joining me for these heartwarming conversations and practical advice from other theater teachers on the front lines making a difference in their students' lives each and every day. I am really excited to welcome to this episode of Fed Talks uh, Dr. Kate Bussell. She teaches at University of Oklahoma, and um, I'm I'm not going to hide this. I've already shared with her, but I'm going to share with the audience that I had a total nerd moment and I am totally fanboying looking at her on my screen right now um, because I have um, quoted Dr. Bussell's uh, articles in in some of my articles that I've recently written. So when I put all that together, I was very excited. And um, this morning, I'm, I'm really happy to have you here. Um, Dr. Bussell, if you would not mind, introduce yourself and kind of share your story of how we got to where you are right now. And you're going to share a lot of stuff about your intimacy work as well that I can't wait to share with audiences because I think theater teachers need to know about this. 110%. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm Dr. Kate Bussell. Uh, I use she, her pronouns. Um, and uh, I am not only a so excited to be a Sooner at the University of Oklahoma, where I have the best job title ever of Assistant Professor of Movement and Stage Combat. That is my full job title. Amazing. How cool is that? Um, I'm also the founder of Heartland Intimacy Design and Training, in which I offer intimacy training that is fully online um, at an asynchronous model, um, which is the only company that does that. So I offer intimacy training that is academic, accessible, and affordable. Um, so my mission is to be able to bring the access to anyone who wants to learn how to do intimacy work uh, in their own home, in their own backyard, uh, without having to worry about traveling to any place um, and being able to do it with people they're comfortable learning how to do it with um, and being able to spread the access that way um, and being able to offer those tools um, in a very accessible format. Um, so that's, that's a little bit about my company. Um, how I ended up here is I first um, started off as a, a BFA acting major way back when at Michigan State University, go green. Uh, and then went from there, I became um, very interested in stage combat, um, studying under now fight master Christina Traster. Um, and from there, I went on to get my Master of Arts at University of Central Florida. Uh, and then I realized I missed having some sort of season. So then I went from straight from there to get my PhD at uh, the University of Missouri, um, where I studied under the illustrious Dr. Cheryl Black, um, who is just one of the most incredible American theater history scholars. Um, and while I was there, I began doing more and more research into, you know, why are we not having these opportunities to create and stage um, moments of intimacy? And so when I was there um, as a graduate student, um, I co-founded Theatrical Intimacy Education with Chelsea Pace and Laura Reichard. And then in 2019, I broke off to create Heartland when I graduated. Um, and then uh, the pandemic hit and we were all kind of like, hey, what are we going to do? We're just going to hang out here for a minute and, you know, applying for jobs like I'm sure many people did in that moment or evaluating, hey, what is it that I'm going to do? Um, and this opportunity opened up at the University of Oklahoma, and I'm thrilled that I was able to come and join the faculty here and um, really help create significant cultural change at a university where um, the students have really been through a lot and being able to help support them and really um, help create significant cultural change. And now I'm starting year two. So I'm really excited to see what's going to happen next. So let's, let's talk a little bit about, um, your BFA in acting, and then it led to your, your, your MA. What, what was your focus in your MA? So in my MA, I was really specializing in, um, violence committed by women 
on stage that was non-retaliatory. So when I was studying under um, Christina Traster um, for all of the combat work that I did, she said something to me that made me go, uh, what? Great. This is pre-Wonder Woman. This is pre all of the fabulous like superhero, like Captain Marvel films that we have now. And I was in stage combat. I was in my unarmed class. And she said, Kate, you throw a really mean punch but you really need to learn how to be on the receiving end because women are always on the receiving end in theater. And I went, uh. well, that's a bummer. Like, <laughs> if I'm good at throwing punches, like there's got to be something out there. So in my master's research, I really started to try and find plays where there were women who were strong, empowered, using violence, on stage, that it didn't happen off stage, right? Using it on stage um, that wasn't retaliatory. And at first it was very difficult for me to find. Um, a lot of times it would be some sort of, you know, uh, interpersonal violence situation. And then, you know, there was a moment of retaliation for violence that had been committed. Um, so in my master's thesis, I specifically tried to look at um, diverse voices. So I looked at plays by Maria Irene Fornes, uh, Susan Laurie Parks, uh, young Jean Lee, um, and comparing those two to um, Tracy Letts' August Osage County and how those are very different in how they represent onstage violence. Um, and from there, I continued that research into my dissertation um, where I then started to really focus and I'm like, okay, I'm still not quite finding the plays that I'm, I'm wanting to showcase. So that's how I found um, the Kilroys, um, and really looking at works by Sheila Callahan and Marissa Weggerson. Um, and they have, um, I looked at four plays by them. Um, one of them is Killing Women. Um, Marissa Weggerson wrote that play. And it's the best way I can describe it is Kill Bill meets nine to five. Um, and it's about hit women in their day-to-day -day lives and how they're encountering the glass ceiling in the mafia and how they're just like frustrated that they're like, why, why can't we get advanced in this career and in this field? Um, because, you know, sexism exists in every workplace. Um, so having that kind of challenge, um, but also showcasing these spectacularly strong women trying to figure out how am I going to get childcare coverage, right? While I'm going to go do this hit on, you know, Billy Joe, right? Like, so just these weird stories or um, for Sheila Callahan, her play Roadkill Confidential, where it's a visual artist who is um, hitting rabbits with her car and then covering them with a bioterrorist agent, releasing them into the wild and having them kill children in the community. Um, they're very weird out there plays, um, but they're they're so unique and, and interesting viewpoints on feminism of just like feminist rage and they're of dark comedies, all of them. Um, so interesting how in order for us to see feminist rage, we have to see it as humorous in order for mm. it to be produced. Um, so I looked at a lot of, you know, comedy studies, violence studies um, and things like that in the master or in the dissertation version of the study. Gotcha. gotcha. That I'm still nerding out, but that, that's fascinating to me. <laughs> um, and and that led you to, I'm assuming that led you or it got you connected with, with Chelsea and Laura um, mm -hmm. with, with theatrical intimacy education. Um, that is, I, I've done a couple of workshops with them. So that's, um, that's where beginning of my work with this uh, started. Yeah. So how did, how did that happen? And, and how did that lead to um, your, the, the founding of your, your Heartland Intimacy Design? Yeah, so the three of us were put on a panel together by Adam Noble, who is one of the members of Intimacy Directors and Coordinators mm -hmm. in um, at the uh, Association for Theater and Higher Education, mm -hmm. ASA, um, in Las Vegas in 2017 or 2016. No, not in Vegas. That one was in Chicago. In Chicago in 2016. Um, we were put on a panel together. And we all had papers that kind of spoke to each other organically. Um, I was talking a lot about troubleshooting difficult situations as a graduate student and being in a position where I wasn't in the full position of power and how it's difficult for a graduate student to advocate for positions of safety um, when I'm not fully empowered um, to actually advocate for that safety. And then when that safety is then being overridden in other ways. Um, so we connected that year 
2016 and then in 2017 in Las Vegas, um, you know, the three of us connected again um, and we sat on the floor of the casino in Las Vegas and we like strategized and mapped out hey, we should do something together. And so we created theatrical intimacies education, you know, with ching, 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 ching in the background, lights, camera, the whole <laughs> thing, right? Um, so, so we started that in 2017 in August. October 2017, the Me Too movement hit. So we had maybe a month of working together before we exploded, right? Uh, of just mm -hmm. uh, an, an influx of people saying, oh my God, like I we need you, we need your help, all of it, right? So um, from there, we, we developed the curriculum together. We really, um, we really worked together to figure out what it is that we wanted to do, um, how to structure the workshops and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then from there, um, you know, we, we spent our time together. Um, and then I broke off in uh, March of 2019. Um, and from there I was trying to figure out, you know, this in-person stuff, right. This is valuable to have the in-person workshops, that this is a valuable skill. What we're not seeing is the online component. And so that's when I said, we need to offer something online, that there needs to be some online element to intimacy education, or else we're not going to reach the people we wanna reach. We're only going to be providing intimacy training to folks who can afford to travel, can afford to be in the major cities, can afford to be in those places. I wanna reach that single high school teacher who is running that theater department all by themselves in middle of nowhere, Kansas. Like that's the person I want to help. So if we want to create that cultural change, it has to happen on that microcosm level. So that's when I developed the curriculum that is online in August of 2019. March 2020, the pandemic hits. <laughs> so, I mean, I've had lucky timing twice. So I've been very, very fortunate that I've had lucky timing twice. Um, but it, it's been one of those things that it's been such an interesting shift because definitely at first when I was moving online, there were a lot of people who were like, I don't know if that's safe. I'm really concerned about that. Right. Like I definitely heard some pushback at first of like, you're not in the room with them. Like you're not supervising mm -hmm. them. Like th this is a concerning practice. I might not be in the room with them, but there is a video camera recording their every move that then they're going to upload and send to me. So I would say that's probably as close to in the room as we're going to get um, without having to have the expense of travel. So if they know that they're being watched by a camera, I'm pretty sure they're not going to do anything fishy. Um, so so that's that's been my um, intermediary um, tactic to help facilitate um, the work without having to be physically present with that person and still being able to offer feedback. And I think the feedback I offer can actually be much more nuanced where I can go, hey, at 137, mm. you did this thing. This was awesome. At 145, you did this thing. Let's try this instead, where I can actually timestamp the feedback instead of watching and trying to remember it all. So that I think is making me a better teacher because I can actually timestamp all of the feedback and go back if I need to and go forward and, and make sure that I'm, I'm giving as much detail as I possibly can. That's really cool. That is, that's very cool. Cause that was going to be my next question is what does that look like in the online format? Cause I, I, I did the physical in-person training and yeah. I, it was, it blew my mind. I, 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 thoroughly impressed and began immediately incorporating things into my own work in my class and in my my directing um so that was my question is how does this look in the in the online format because i've done i've done a few of the the online workshops with with tie um and and it's i, I don't want to bash them because i adore them but it was no, no, no. it was very much no, no, no. sit and get um, and it wasn't an interactive, it wasn't a put things into practice it was here's information take it and run with it um and that was early in the pandemic when I did that. So the, I mean, I'm sure it could have been refined since then. But um, sure. I appreciate you sharing kind of how you, how you do that. And I think that's extremely valuable that that the timestamps of 
and specific feedback along the way as they're practicing these things that you're teaching. Well, and the active learning tool, right? That is such a valuable, Mm -hmm. having active learning is how you learn better. So there are certainly things that I put in the curriculum where it's like, hey, I'm going to talk you through how to do it. I'm going to have a video clip showing you how to do it. And then you're going to go do it three different times with three different groups of people. You're going to record all of them. You're going to take notes on all of them, watch them back, like, you know, cringe, right? Nobody wants to watch themselves, right? That's the most Mm -hmm. terrifying thing. But how much more do you learn from having to sit back and go, oh, my God, I said, is that okay 17 times? (laughs) <laughs> right. Like and and it's not until you have that moment of self-reflection that you realize that. Yeah. So for me, having them actually get up and do the thing is going to help them learn it better than me just espousing information and just saying, OK, great. I gave you all the information. Hope you got it right. Then being able to concretely okay, great. So you already covered a lot of the things that I was going to say. So you're already doing the great thing. And sometimes you just need somebody to say, you're doing great, kid. Mm -hmm. You just need somebody to just say, attaboy, right? Where it's that fear of, oh, I don't think I did very well. I don't think I did great. And somebody just to say, no, you did an excellent job. That was awesome. The actors were clearly comfortable. They clearly expressed their boundaries, that all of that was facilitated in such a way that you created a cultural space of consent and care and support. You did great. Sometimes you just need that extra voice to reassure you that you're not you're not screwing up. Um, that imposter syndrome voice can be very, very strong. Um, and the other thing that this, you know, module based format does is it enables me to bring other voices in that I wouldn't have been able to do in a lecture based format. So there's like readings, there's homework, right? Like I'm assigning you readings to go out, read, process, analyze, write responses to, right? We're creating paperwork for a show that you might be working on coming up from audition to technical rehearsal, um, making sure that you have gone through and found all of the moments of intimacy that might be in that show. I'm helping you make it so you've got a template, right? All of these kinds of things to help set you up for success. So the last thing I want to do is have anybody come away from this training and go, Oh, okay. I think my notes are clear. I don't remember exactly what that means, but I think I have it. Mm-hmm. No, anyone can pop back into the training at any time. So it's always available to them. It's like their access is never revoked, um, that they can always go back in and go, okay, I haven't done this in maybe six months. Let me watch this video again and see, okay, yes, those are the steps. Perfect. Now I can go into rehearsal confident that I know what I'm doing. So I mentioned in my 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 intro uh, of, of you that I think this is critical work um, that that high school and even some middle school teachers need um, in their toolbox and be putting into practice in their classrooms and in their rehearsal spaces. Um, and you alluded to the the the, the notion of of creating the cultural change um, in your in your own microcosm. Um, I put a Facebook post on my own personal page the other day responding to the, the there was a Huffington Post article with the, the Game of Thrones actor um, who said some things that really bothered me. <laughs> and um, and I, the end of my post, I said, and teacher theater teachers, this begins with you. Um, because if you're training your students to advocate for themselves, to understand their boundaries, to know what consent is, and to know how to collaborate in that process of knowing those boundaries and consent. It's only going to help create that cultural change going forward into the university, into professional settings beyond the universities. So for that theater teacher who may say, I don't need this training, I don't do this work in on my stages and in my classes, this is too political, um, what do you say to that? I would ask them to reflect on any show that they've ever done, right, that might have had a kiss in it. Could have been something as simple as like Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella, right? Um, And 
just to consider, right? Might that have been that actor's first kiss? Like, do you know? Um, when you staged it, how did you do it? Like, what questions did you ask? What conversation did you have? Did you talk to the parents about like, hey, um, just so you know, your kid's going to be kissing another kid in the show. Um, just, just so you're aware. Um, just thinking about what are some of the conversations that you might have had or maybe didn't have regarding this moment. Um, and I, I like to think about the fact that a lot of people, when I've, when I've talked about this work, similarly, there's a conversation about intellectual property rights right now, right? And the idea of like, well, it's in the script, we can't change it, right? So there's this parallel idea that's happening right now of, well, we can't change the words, we can't change the stage directions, we can't change things, right? Unless it changes the meaning. And I would invite those directors to think creatively about all of the possible ways we can express two people falling in love. Because I know that they are creative, innovative artists that could tell it in many ways beyond a kiss. And if you could tell it in a more interesting, engaging, exciting way, maybe with fabric or a prop, or maybe there's a fan that goes up and blocks their faces, right? Maybe there's some interesting way to tell the same idea of the story, right? We're honoring the playwright's intention, but not necessarily forcing the actors to potentially violate their own boundaries. So that would be my invitation to them is to think a little more creatively of alternate ways to tell the story um, and see what arises for them creatively. I'm not giving it away because it hasn't been published yet, quite frankly. It hasn't been written yet by my husband and I who've done some, um, some trauma-informed research um, and, and intimacy work was part of our, our, our research. Um, and theater teachers are not doing it. They're just not, and, and our, our, our research shows that um, time and time and time and time and time and time again. Um, and it's, it's not that they don't want to necessarily, it's they don't know how. And as a teacher in a public school or any kind of school, um, the funding, the, the time to be able to go to do these trainings is not there. Um, so we've got to find a way. And, and, and that's when I look at the, in, the, in the mirror at my own work of when I'm training theater teachers, what tools can I put in your hands when you go to work with kids? Absolutely. I mean, I did um, a professional development intention intensive at um, the International Thespian Festival, working with high school theater teachers and really trying to express to them like, hey, like, I just want to give you the tools, like, just so you have them. Um, and something that was expressed back to me was, hey, this is the first time I've been in a space where I don't feel like I'm being shamed or blamed for not knowing this. And I said, I'm really sorry that you felt like that you've been the bad guy um, for not knowing how to do this because th this isn't something that a lot of people have known how to do. Nope. Um, so you haven't had the resources to be able to do that. And, and I really don't want to convey the sense that like theater people are bad for not knowing this, right? Um, you haven't been given the resources mm -hmm. or the tools to do this. And culturally, I mean, you know, I'm 31, right? I, even in my undergraduate career, right? There were many problematic things that happened, right? Mm -hmm. That weren't that long ago. Um, and the fact that the training, right? There were lots of great things about my training, but there were also lots of very problematic things about my training, um, you know, body shaming, things like that, yeah. um, that, we're just are just still for widely accepted as as standard right? right um you know telling actors you need to you know lose 20 or gain 40 right those types of rhetorics um so it's not that they're bad it's just we're trying to create a massive cultural shift 
and it starts person by person by person by person um and and that's the challenge right mm -hmm. that it, it's not it's a team effort um and and i i i don't um I don't think anybody's a bad person for not knowing how to do this. Um, it's just a matter of being willing to learn. Um, and I think being open to being someone who's like, I, I'm willing to make a mistake. Because um, that's something that's really, really scary for people, especially in this political climate, right? Nobody wants to be the one that's willing to make a mistake. Um, but, you know, it, we're all human. We're all gonna. Um, it, we can't be encouraging our students to fail and fail and fail and fail if we never fail ourselves. Right. So right. we have to lead by example. Yeah. Are you a regular listener of Fed Talks and have always wondered how you can be a guest on the show? Well, this is how you sign up to be a guest on Fed Talks and join the ranks of all the other amazing theater educators that have been on the show. All you do is go to www.fedtalks.com and right at the top of the page, there's a link that says register as a guest. Click that and then you'll be taken to a page where you fill out some information and hit submit. And once you do, you'll be taken to a scheduling link where you can schedule a time to have an interview with me and share your stories and resources here on the show. You may think, oh, I don't really have something to talk about. Nobody wants to hear my stories. You know what? Every single guest who I have talked to has pretty much said the same thing. And we have a fantastic conversation. And hopefully those stories and what you're hearing keep bringing you back. So I promise you, you have things that people want to hear. And I want to hear from you. www.fedtalks.com and click register as a guest. Stop thinking about it and just do it. I can't wait to talk to you soon. Um, you shared a little bit of information uh, that I would love to unpack a little bit with you um, uh, in your current position. Um, and, and you said over, over the time that you've been there, um, working to create that, um, that cultural change within your own program. Um, and I think many, many university programs are, are going through that right now. Um, I know ours is. Um, what, talk about what that is and what that means to you um, and in your program and kind of yeah. where you see that going. Sure. Um, you know, I came into a program that um, has very um, open and fresh wounds um, from mm. a history of, of men in the department that have caused significant harm and trauma to our students. Luckily, none of those people remain, which is great. We love that they are no longer there. Um, but the students, you know, I think our senior class is the last class of, of students who, who have been there. Um, and as a result, um, they, uh, when I came into the department, there was a bit of fear and apprehension of yet another new person coming in, right? There's a little bit of like, oh God, more change, right? More change, we can't do more change. There's a little bit of like the fists up, right? Mm -hmm. A little bit of, I don't trust you, stay away from me, I am scared, right? And that's really what I saw was I am scared. Mm -hmm. And so I just put my hands up and said, cool great. I see that you are scared. I'm going to do viewpoints in class today. I would love for you to join and have fun. Um, if you would like to come and play, please do. Um, your invitation is, is always there, right? Please come join. Um, but if you want to be scared, you can be scared. That's okay. Um, creating the cultural change uh, it was an interesting challenge. So, uh, this past year I worked on 16 productions. Um, yeah, it's a little bananas. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I'm responsible for working on all of the, um, shows in our department and a handful of them outside. Um, but coming in because everyone knew that they're like, we don't have the tools yet. Anytime there was a kiss or intimacy of any kind, it was, you know, emailing Dr. B. Dr. B, we're doing this. Can you come in? Dr. B, we're doing this. Can you come in? Right? So the triage of, great, 
I will be there whenever you need, right? I'm coming to this rehearsal. I'm coming to this class. These two students are going to do, you know, the Kate and Petruchio scene, and they've asked me to come assist them. Absolutely, 110%, I will come support you in this process. Um, from there, right, now I've got students who are interested in this work and saying, hey, this seems really cool. I'm really excited about this. Um, can I shadow you? Can I come to a rehearsal? Can I take over? Can I try it? And I say, absolutely, yes, come in. I would invite you to be part of the process. So that's when I started to put in intimacy captains in the shows, right? And started to have those people starting to facilitate some of this work so they could start to get the practice. Um, and we have a student playwriting festival as part of our as part of our season. So one of the positions we you know quote unquote hired was um, a festival intimacy designer and a festival violence designer. And so those two did all of the violence and intimacy work for all of the six plays for the festival and supported all six plays together, working in tandem. Um, and now this fall, for the first time in university history, um, we'll be offering a theatrical intimacy class. Um, so it's a full semester long class where I've got, I think, currently nine students who are planning on, you know, three days a week, 9.30 a.m. with that coffee, right, um, coming in. Um, learning, working together as an ensemble to support each other, to learn all the skills and tools necessary um, to be able to come back in to those spaces and I can start to have them take over and be the ones that are going into those spaces as the student advocates in the room um, to facilitate that work. The other thing that the department is doing to help support this is um, my company offers institutional subscriptions um, to the core curriculum. So so they have um, joined the, um, the content of the core curriculum, which means that every single student, every single faculty member, every single staff member has access to all of the online content of Heartland Intimacy Design and Training. So at any time, if they're rehearsing a scene and they go, oh, shoot, I think we need a kiss here, they can log on they can see the modules, they can see the training, and they can facilitate that work whether I'm physically there or not. I'm still guiding them through the process. So cultural change takes time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, it takes time. Mm -hmm. But now the students are much more conscious and aware, and now they're saying things like, hey, why are you not teaching the directing students how to facilitate this? Why are the acting professors not aware of this, right? And I'm like, don't worry, I'm on it. Just like, <laughs> give me like another semester and I will, I, I'm on it. One more semester and I'll be there. But yes, I'm glad you're aware of it and you're seeing it. And then they're asking the questions too of, well, why is this, you know, professional theater not having an intimacy person for doing Rocky Horror? And I go, great question. Great question. Something for you to be aware of. And if you decide to work with that theater, something you might want to ask them. Why didn't you have an intimacy person for Rocky Horror? Right. Things that you can advocate for yourself. So they're now learning the critical thinking skills and the self-advocacy skills to be able to go. I think I need more support than what you're providing. Can we get some more support here? which is really exciting and empowering for them, for students who have come from a place of fists up trauma to now kind of starting to relax and go, oh, wait, I'm going to step into my power now, which is really exciting to see. That's awesome. I love that. Um, we are, uh, uh, my colleague um, in the musical theater uh, concentration that we have, um, she's also been doing uh, some of some of this work as well. And um, this year we are implementing with our freshman practicum classes, consent and boundary training and um, just some basics of this that, that hopefully will begin that culture shift. Um, and my my response when I was asked to to help facilitate that was that's cool. I'm glad we're doing this. I'm happy to lead this and are our faculty going to be putting these in their classes? Are our directors going to be using this in rehearsals? Because if they're not, this is cool that we're giving the students the tools, but if they're not being allowed to use them, what's the point? 
110 percent yeah if the faculty aren't going to implement the tools if it's not going to be a full departmental change it's going to be great for class by class by class but it's not full cultural change if it's not embraced at every level yeah yeah i know where where the connection and and the the development of of intimacy work how it evolved out of the stage combat world um can you can you speak just to a little bit of that and and where where those worlds overlap and where the next begins i guess is my question Absolutely. Yeah. So um, when we think of stage combat, um, it's often the extreme emotional states, the, the stages of um, violence that we're often seeing on our stages. And unfortunately, right, as I was speaking to earlier of like women are often on the receiving end of theater, that is often where we would be seeing representations of sexual violence, right? So that is where we would be seeing a lot of these practitioners who are saying, hey, obviously this is violence. So we need to bring in someone who works in violence in order to do this work. Um, so uh, Tonya Sina um, is widely credited as the first like intimacy director. Um, she wrote her master's thesis on it. Um, and right, so a lot of these folks who came out of stage combat, we just happened to also have stage combat training because we've been asked to do a lot of these like sexually violent moments and saying, okay, but we're also like, we need to look at the consent based moments too, right? And it's not just the violent ones. Um, so for that reason, um, a, uh, a lot of the organizations have this like history and legacy of these are the extreme moments of physicality that people are interested in um, and often work in tandem with each other. Mm -hmm. So the kind of main organizations emerged from the stage combat world as a result. And I would say that's also true for my experience of stumbling into intimacy by accident in my master's program where um, I was understudying a role where is horrible play um but it was a new work right like i don't think it's ever been done since but um the the character i was understudying was um receiving oral sex downstage center while giving a monologue about how badly she wanted to end her own life um and when she climaxed she burst into tears um and the director did what the director knew how to do at the time which was wait until tech week and then tell the actors to figure it out so right so the two actors then look at me and they say well you do stage combat and movement stuff do you think you can help us this is how many of us started right mm -hmm. it's like you you do the movement thing this is a movement thing can you stage the movement thing um and that's when we all went, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be more tools that we can create that can help facilitate this. Um, so a lot of us started in that you do movement stuff kind of way <laughs> um, to be able to create this work. Um, so that's how a lot of this has emerged initially. Now, as a result, because a lot of this is based in the idea of sex, um, there are other practitioners who are coming in from the approaches of trauma-informed um, therapy, drama therapy, um, people who are coming in um, who are um, sex therapists, right? That there are people who are coming in from other um, avenues and approaches. So please do not assume that there is an intimacy person who is also a fight choreographer, right? Because there are varying backgrounds now of people who are approaching this work. Um, but often they can do both, but not always, right? Mm -hmm. um, so the, the field is starting to branch out in this way, um, but the history of it is really coming from that, you do movement stuff, this is a movement thing, um, and now is going to hopefully be, and I say hopefully, um, be informed by other fields um, in order to develop and grow um, in such a way that it's not just a practice-based medium that it can be informed by research. I'm a nerd. I'm a PhD, right? Like, I love research. Um, and a lot of my research right now is in de-rolling and debriefing techniques of helping actors step out of character um, after these moments. 
And it's really important for us to not get so siloed in these ways of like, my way is the best way. Because when we do that, we, we make the field grow stagnant. So we really have to be welcoming to new ideas and challenges and, and be giving in these spaces. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate you sharing about um, the, the sexual violence piece. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm serving as the intimacy coordinator for our Bonnie and Clyde musical this year Ooh. that we're doing. And we also have a fight choreographer. And he, he was originally gonna do both roles and as we were talking uh, with our, our, our chair, we both said, I think there needs to be both of us on this, not just one, because there is a point, and, and I, I don't, I, I'm not as familiar with the sexual violence in Bonnie and Clyde yet, because we've not begun the work on it, but there's a point where intimacy and consent changes. And, and that's, for me, and I'm, this is totally just me speculating and, and the conversations with my husband in our living room about this, that you know, there's a point where that that consent is revoked and it turns into assault. So working with the actor, working with the fight choreographer, where where is that moment working with the director yeah. of, of establishing where this is? Because that's helpful for the actor um, in telling the story um, and, and their own boundaries and... and how they're going to tell that story. So um, I appreciate you sharing that. And, and I, I will probably be picking your brain a little bit <laughs> as I get closer to that production. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Well, and it's just one of those things that um, when you think about, right, the history and legacy of that, right, if it's predominantly coming from a source of sexual violence, how many sexual violence stories were we putting on stages mm -hmm. without this support, right? And how that was the dominant narrative right um again right being told you need to be better at receiving because women are often on the receiving end in theater um so oh okay what what happens now with the new possibilities right the pandemic pause made us all go "Ooh, we're kind of doing some gross stuff on stages that we don't necessarily need to keep doing um what new possibilities emerge when we're thinking critically about how we're staging these things um, and, and how can we tell stories like sexual violence in a way that we as the audience get it, but maybe it's in a more interesting or innovative or exciting way um, than the graphic stuff that we used to love in the 2000s. Like the 2000s were all about graphic gore. We're going there, mm -hmm. right? Like we're gonna show you everything. And that doesn't necessarily benefit um, the actors or the audience, right? Having, you know, uh, newspaper articles about people fainting at a theater because something is so graphic. I don't know that that's something to be proud of. Um, so, thinking about what are the ways to tell that story and have that moment of recognition where we go, uh-oh, uh-oh, we get it, mm -hmm. right? Trust your audience a little more, right? Mm -hmm. Where my passion for this evolved out of was uh, when I directed a production of Spring Awakening, uh, the play. Because mm -hmm. um, I'd done the musical before and I, I was doing, I was directing the, the play. Um, and the 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 rape venla's rape um in my opinion is a little more romanticized in the musical uh versus the play where it's 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 a rape um and um i was called out uh, in our post-production meeting um because i didn't provide um support for those two actors i didn't provide support for the actors who had to watch that every night um i didn't provide derolling opportunities um at the end of rehearsals or, or performances i didn't um i didn't give a way to help ground the actors before that i sent them home back to their dorms after the rehearsals um and so that was kind of the slap in the face and the wake-up call for me that i've got to do something different that this is this is not working this is not safe i have to do something different um so i i appreciate you 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 kind of sharing this breadth of information with, with the listeners. Well, and thank you for obviously being honest about like, Hey, I made a mistake too, right? Like that we are all, we all have the possibility of, of, you know, 
learning and learning how to do better, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, no no person is infallible in this, right? And and we can be as well intentioned as we can be, um, but you know, everybody can make mistakes, and unless you have the tools, right, you don't know what the tools are, right? right. So you're talking about it at a time where you had no idea these tools even existed, right? Um, so. It, they're out there, listeners, right? They're out there. Um, you can go find them. Um, but, you know, unless you know that the tools exist, right? Mm-hmm. That's the biggest barrier is a lot of people don't know that these tools exist. And I, 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 can, I can hear the voices in the heads of some of the teachers listening right now, or they may be yelling at their, their, um, their phone as they're listening to this episode or whatever. Um, I don't do shows like this. I don't, I don't do spring awakening with my high schoolers. There are some of you that do, and there are some of you that want to go there with your students. And I don't hear you. And I don't hear myself saying, don't do these shows. How can you do them and do them safer? Absolutely. I mean, there is a high school I'm going to be working with this fall that's doing streetcar. So, Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, it's not that they're not happening, um, but, you know, the high school teacher is saying, I'm doing streetcar. I know I need help and resources to do streetcar, right? Um, so I'm going to support that teacher in every way I possibly can and support those students in every way I possibly can. Um, I think there's also a, a forgotten assumption that... Um, Students are much more mature than they are. Um, mm-hmm. I think we like to think, especially high schoolers, right? They're like, oh, well, they're so mature. They're grown adults, all this other stuff. Um, we have to remember that the prefrontal cortex um, is not fully developed until at least 25 years old, maybe even later. Um, and so that is the logic and reasoning center. So anything that has to do with processing, anything that has to do with um, making critical decisions, that part of the brain is not fully functional. So when they're telling you yes, or they're trying to consent to things, right? That part of the brain is not fully functional and is kind of operating on fight or flight. So just bear that in mind that while they may seem very mature and they may seem very grown up, right? By the time they get to my department, they're like, well, I did this thing in high school that was really sketchy, man. I did this thing that shouldn't have happened. Right. And then I'm trying to unpack with them. Right. And then help them get to the resources of, hey, like, I'm not a therapist. So let me help you find the one on campus. Um, And I don't think anybody intends for that to be the case when we're making art. Yeah. Um, I don't think anybody wants to be the reason that someone's in therapy. Um, I think we all have good intentions of wanting to tell powerful stories and tell um, really innovative works that speak to today and speak to the now. And I know a lot of us are facing huge restrictions right now as to what that looks like and what that could mean. Um, there are ways that we can tell these stories that do not traumatize our students. Yes. 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 Hey, theater educators, this is Jimmy Chrisman. If you have ever wondered how you can support the podcast in any way, well, I'm about to tell you. Fed Talks podcast has always been and will always be a free podcast that I put out there for you teachers. I know you don't make a lot of money. I don't make a lot of money as a university professor. But if the podcast is something that has helped you out or that you just really want to find a way to support us, this is how. Visit www.buymeacoffee.com slash PC, And there you can make a donation right to the expenses of the show to help offset those costs. I thank you in advance for what you will do. Thank you for those of you who have donated. I appreciate it. And even if you can't make a donation, I still appreciate you. Just continue to listen and continue to share. That website again is www.buymeacoffee.com slash PC. And alluding to what you just shared about like when the students get to us, because um, I'm now I now get to see that um, 
after 17 years of, of being on the sending end, I'm now receiving that. And I'm, I'm seeing what is happening. Um, and I'm seeing things that I'm having to help undo or, or navigate, help the student navigate. Um, but I think, and I, and I, I, I know that a lot of the, the work um, that you are doing, that, that theatrical intimacy education is doing, that IDC is doing, is based on power. And, and I'm going to kind of water, not water it down, but I'm going to kind of get to the point of what I'm saying because there's a lots of things that we could talk about with power and, 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 and work that we're doing, power and safety. Um, but it's the director slash teacher has to be able to create a space where a student can say, I'm not okay with that. Absolutely. Because Absolutely. students want to say yes. They want to please you. They want the next role in the next show. So they're going to say yes. You have to create the space where they can say, hold up. Can we tell this differently? Absolutely. And we can do this in spaces that aren't necessarily based in rehearsal. Mm -hmm. So um, there's a tool that I use in my class that I would love to offer to your listeners. Um, it's a very simple tool. It's called a me day um, where uh, we negotiate in our class charter, in our um, uh, community agreements at the beginning of the semester. Um, a tool called a me day where we negotiate how many days, right? that someone could physically come to class, right? A lot of the work I do is fully embodied work, right? So we're, we're up, we're moving, we're exercising, we have a physical warm up, right? There's a lot of stuff that my class demands that maybe um, a dramaturgy lecture might not, right? Um, so in this me day format, let's say you wanna come to class, you don't wanna use one of your absences, um, you don't wanna miss, you wanna learn, but you can't, you just don't have the energy, whether it's emotional, physical, maybe you're not feeling well, you don't wanna engage in class. What I ask my students is to come up to me before class starts and says, hey, Dr. B, I'm gonna take a me day today. And I say, great, no problem. What they'll do is they'll sit at the front of class, they'll have a notebook, they'll just take notes for that day for class and just observe. Um, and there's no consequence to their grade. They're still there, they're still engaged, they're still present. Um, and we negotiate how many days per semester that they can do that. We'll negotiate that together. Some of them will try to like negotiate a little high and I'll say, mm, I think, is that really fair? Do you think someone can still get an A and have seven me days? Um, right, we'll negotiate that process. Um, but if they're still physically there, present, like but that not having to physically engage, that they're participating at whatever level that they can be present at whatever level they can today. Um, that's a tool that they can practice for self-advocacy and seeing that there's no negative consequence for self-advocacy. So having a tool like that in your class where you can say, I just don't have it today, right? And saying, great, no problem. Practicing a skill like that in a setting where the stakes are very low, right? They're going to feel more confident mm -hmm. about advocating for themselves with, I don't feel like doing this kiss. It's a skill that we can build and scaffold. Mm -hmm. So I have students who were like, oh, I got to do a me day today. And I'm like, cool, no problem. And it's always been no problem. No big deal. Right. We've talked about what's the consequence, right, for going over. Right. It's usually something minor, like you do an extra journal entry. Right. Like it's usually something very low consequence, low stakes. Um, but they're still able to participate. They're still able mm -hmm. to engage. It's not going to negatively impact their grade. And they get to practice that skill. So then that way, when they come to me and they're like, hey, I know we're supposed to do this Sarah role play. Can I talk to you in the hallway? I don't feel like kissing in the show. Great, no problem. We'll come up with something else. Cool, let's go do it. <laughs> right? Like that that it's just that easy yeah. of a easy of a solution. Yeah. I am um, that was that was one of the things that I absolutely loved um about my in-person training with with TIE um is that the, it, it was the option of if you didn't feel comfortable or not ready to get up and do the things that we're doing right now, you can sit and watch and take notes. And for me as a learner, that Sometimes I just need to see the skill in action and see people grappling with it to to 
get okay with it in my own head before I get on my feet to try it. Um, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, Kate, I love, I, I love all this, but I want to hear a little bit from you about you as a teacher. Um, yeah. What are one or two of your favorite moments from your, your career so far of, of working with, with individuals? I absolutely loved, we did um, a show this past spring um, called What Happened While Hero Was Dead, um, which is uh, a twist on um, the Much Ado About Nothing play. It's a feminist takedown of that play uh, where we follow Hero when she wakes up and it's after the wedding and she's like i'm getting married everything's great and they're like uh-oh you don't remember anything uh you have to stay in here in margaret's bedchamber while we figure everything out um you just hang out here um and while she's in there um she realizes i'm dead so nothing i do counts so margaret takes her on a sexual awakening journey <laughs> to discover all of the things about womanhood. Um, and we did a workshop production of it here at OU. And in this script, there are two sex ballets, um, which one, I love the notion of a sex <laughs> ballet. Um, and with, you know, this is something I thought we would maybe try to tackle in like year five of me being here, right? The idea of like, <laughs> I just came in, right? I just started to get to know these students and then I go sex ballet, everybody. <laughs> um, so um, with this show, um, we had a lot of actors who, you know, had very limited experience with intimacy work. Um, and one of the sex ballets that's in the script is... Um, various forms of hero experimenting with different types of sex. And obviously we were in the peak of Omicron. All of us were masked, right? Like, so like a lot of the traditional things that would be asked of the script, we could not do. Uh -huh. And we were working with the playwright. So we actually were able to have the playwright come out, talk to her, all that good stuff. Um, so what we chose to do instead, um, my assistant uh, intimacy designer, Belle Reeves, came up with this idea and I was like, brilliant, we're doing it. We decided to change each of the sex acts into forms of dance. So we're leaning into the ballet aspect of it here. So there was a part where she was supposed to be having very physical um, aerobic sex. So we had girls coming out doing the late like weightlifting thing and they were doing legs lifts to represent like scissoring um, while Olivia Newton-John's physical played in the background, right? <laughs> like, so we were really leaning into this. Um, there was um, some really bad mechanical white guy sex um, where we then turned into Sexy Back by Justin Timberlake and the actors were doing the sprinkler and flossing and all that kind of stuff. And she wasn't super into it. Um, and of course we had to do the like, let's get it on, you know, wah, 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 wah. like we had to do that. Um, so all of this led into the culmination of the orgy scene in which the entire ensemble came on stage and did the Cotton Eye Joe, um, which was hysterical. Um, and all of them are vocalizing, right? The sounds of sex as they're doing all of this to make it clear to the audience, like, hey, if you didn't get it, it this is supposed to represent sex. Um, and then Beatrice comes in and busts up the party. Um, so what was so exciting about that is all of the students felt like, wow, we got to do a whole orgy scene. And like, it wasn't weird. And we like, we had fun. Like we had a lot of fun doing it. That was exciting. Cool. And we like advocated for ourselves and like, we got to pick what parts of the sex ballet we wanted to be in. and wow, that was super fun. So that one, I, I like checked that off as like, that was a super fun experience. The actors had fun. I mean, um, and the fact that they got to work on new play development is something I'm also very passionate about. So being able to work on that was also really exciting. Um, the other thing I'm, you know, as I alluded to new play development, um, I'm the conference intimacy consultant for the Great Plains Theater Conference. Um, so that is a new play development festival workshop where plays are 
workshopped in front of an audience um, in a staged reading fashion. So learning how to adapt intimacy work for a staged reading uh. and figuring out what moments does the audience need to see in order for the intention of the story to be conveyed. Um, so there was a moment in a play uh, called Oh to be Pure Again by Kira Rockwell, um, where there were two, um, two girls, it's a, based at a Christian summer camp, um, two girls where they're hanging out at the beach and they're talking about all sorts of stuff, but there's like a little bit of a queer questioning undertone that's supposed to happen. Um, and part of that is from putting sunscreen on each other. Well, if we didn't see them put sunscreen on each other, we might not have gotten that from the language. So we, we all kind of in agreement as we were staging the reading, Kira, myself, and the director, Anna Kat Jordan, um, we all kind of went, I think we need to stage the sunscreen moment. So having that moment and then in the stage, watching my students in the audience um, when that moment happened on stage and having them go, I knew she was queer. I it, I knew it, right? And like writing it down, like, yes, that's a queer, that's a queer kid, right? Um, queer representation. Um, so having that moment register for the audience, like, okay, great, we did need to stage that moment in order for that to register. So um, those are some of my, my recent favorites. There's so many, but those are my recent ones. I love that. I love that. Um, I think just the other thing too, to consider, right, is um, the importance of creating a time and space after performance to help your students get out of character, right? We'd spend a lot of time focusing on getting into character, warming up, having them prepare to get into these roles. I would really encourage you to create some time and space at the end of rehearsal to help actors step out of character. Um, I know that we're all pressed for time, right? As usual, um, but even just three minutes for them to just decompress breathe, stretch, something to help them get out of character um, would be a really, really beneficial thing because if they don't have some sort of bookend for this process, they can potentially get stuck in what's called emotional hangover. And in that emotional hangover process, then they're still kind of like stuck in the character when they go home and then they can't focus on their homework and then they're not sleeping well. And then you're like, why is my actor irritated? Because they're still hanging on to the character. So I would really encourage your listeners to see if you can find a way in the last three minutes of rehearsal to do some sort of goofy activity, whether it's just shaking it all off or something, to create a separation between the work you've been doing and them going home, some sort of cathartic release to just say, hey, all the things we just did weren't real. All happening on stage. None of that was real. We're doing a play. We're playing, right? Take a deep breath, go home your math homework, right? All that other stuff. Now you can transition back to your life. So that would be the only other thing I would say. Well, and, and that three minutes that you're talking about is, I know there are teachers, I need every moment for this rehearsal. I need every moment to make the show happen. Well, you also need your actors. You need your yeah. actors well. Um, you need them invested with you um, to tell this story. Um, so, making that three minutes just part of your process um, and the culture of your program. It's because it's going to feel silly the first couple times they do it. I, when I do it with my students, they're like, this is silly. I'm like, I know because you've not done it. It's not part of our practice. So we're going to make it part of our practice now. A hundred percent. At the end of all of my classes, I go, okay, three deep breaths. Here we go. Right. And they all come together and we all do it. And they all know, hey, this is just how we end Dr. B's classes. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, the first time they go, this is a little weird. But then, you know, then they go, okay, this is great. Now I can have my cathartic release. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate you sharing that. My final two questions are the ones that I ask everyone. Uh, the first is, what is a resource that theater teachers must have? So I always am looking for uh, open 
source resources. Um, and one of those ones that I would love to offer folks, um, especially if they're interested in intimacy work, um, is a podcast similar to yours um, called Intimacy Choreography in Conversation. Um, it's had two seasons. Um, the last one ended in 2021. So I'm not sure if they're on hiatus or if they're going to come back or not. Um, it's hosted by Ann James and uh, Carly Weckstein. Um, and it is I for, for sure on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm not sure where else. Um, but Carly and Ann are two very well practitioners, like intimacy people in the world. Um, but they have really great conversations about intimacy and intimacy choreography. Um, so if you have questions about I don't know about this, right? Here's a free resource for you. If you're like, I'm still wrestling with this and I don't know how I feel, right? That there's, this is a free podcast that you can pop in right after this one, um, Intimacy Choreography in Conversation. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. I was not aware of that one, so I'm going to subscribe as soon as we get off of here. And my final question is, what is your what are your parting words of wisdom uh, for that new teacher entering the field or a veteran teacher just needing an encouraging word right now? Hey, we're going through it. It is still a pandemic. And now we got like new things that are cropping up that I'm like, cool. We have like zero guidance. Uh, we are all tired of the uh, unprecedented times. We wish that we could have precedented times again. Um, you are doing your absolute best. And the best is all that anyone can ask of you. Please be kind to yourself. Um, and if you are feeling tired and you are feeling like I need a break, honor that intention. Give yourself a break. Yeah. Um, times are really tough right now for a lot of people. And um, I think expectations of what our workloads were in the past are not the same as what mm -hmm. our workload expectations are right now. So please be kind to yourself. Uh, take a moment for self-care if you need it. And... Um, Find something that sparks joy in you and, and gives you joy. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Dr. Kate Bissell, where can the listeners find information about you if they want to take your workshops? Absolutely. So if you go to heartlandintimacydesign.com or you can like us on Facebook at Heartland Intimacy Design, we're on, intimacy, or we're on Instagram at Heartland Intimacy Design and on Twitter at Heartland underscore ID. Um, so we're on all of those platforms. If you want to follow me on Instagram, I'm at Dr. Dangerous Woman on Instagram. Um, and um, I'm super excited to engage with your listeners. And um, I'm also, uh, I have my own website at Kate Bissell. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Dr. Bassell, for joining me this morning and, and chatting about your work. Um, I really appreciate it. I think it's very needed conversation that teachers need to hear. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And that is a wrap for this episode of Fed Talks Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please visit our website at www.fedtalks.com where you can find all of the past guest pages with their valuable resources and lots more information on the website for you. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast provider so that it automatically populates in your podcast app so you don't have to miss a single episode. Please rate us, leave us those five stars, review us, tell us what you're liking, and more importantly, share the podcast with all of those theater educators in your life who you think could benefit from what we're doing here on the show. You can email me at jimmy at fedtalks.com and I will always respond. I love interacting with you on there. Visit us on Twitter at Theater Ed Talks, Facebook, the Fed Talks page, and on Instagram, Fed Talks Podcast. Teachers, I appreciate you. I love you. And I am so grateful for all that you're doing and the light that you're bringing to this world. Continue to change those students' lives and continue to make a difference in the world. Join us next week for a new episode. I'm your host, Jimmy Chrisman. Have an amazing week.